Uh, we, we have a lot of things that are happening here that really do get me excited. We just finished our, uh, our conference, our mental health conference called the Image Conference. Uh, how many of you guys came to the Image Conference? Okay, yeah, there we go. Um, it, was, it was really, it's, I have high expectations on things. It's a problem and I'm working through it. Um, this thing exceeded my expectations and I thought, wow, Lord, I... I had no idea of the impact that had to happen. And, you know, when we do a conference, like we, we do a, a dwell conference, it's, it's big and it's exciting and there's like this momentum. And I always say our worship team leads the best the, su- the Sunday right after dwell because we're just excited. There's like this overflow that happens. Um, coming out of Image Conference was different. Um, it, was, it was a little bit heavier, but it was really Good. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, we dove into some really difficult areas of life. And uh, last night in my message, I was talking a little bit about um, seeking out kind of identity anchors, things that maybe people have spoken over you or, or things that you continue to speak over yourself. And we had people write them down and, and come bringing, bring them up to the front as just kind of an offering saying, Lord, replace this thing that I keep hearing about myself with what you say about me. And I, I told them, I said, if you're trying to figure out what thing to write down, the thing that you, the, the thing, the word that comes to your mind that makes a little pain pop in your heart, that's probably the word to write down. You should chase the pain. Uh, don't avoid the pain, chase it. Go, okay, there's something that hurts about that. I need, to, I need to dive deeper into that. Lord, what's going on with that? And yesterday was just full of that. So today... Um, our team is a little tired. We were, we were really going. I was afraid. I was singing down there, and I was singing loud, and then I started losing my voice. I was like, uh-oh, that can't happen yet. <laughs> um, so our team's a little tired, and we're a little spent, but I think it's kind of the best kind of spent, if that makes sense. It's like we spent ourselves in the good area. So I just, I think the Lord is doing a lot, and I think it was a moment. There's been a few of these in the last year or two. Um, where I feel like our church steps into something new and we take some ground from the enemy that we will never give back. I don't know how else to say it. It's like we took a step forward and this is now our new home. Like this is now our new place. Uh, Yesterday was one of those moments. And even if you weren't at the conference, I feel like you are going to reap the benefits of what we were diving into yesterday Um, because the Lord is drawing us deeper and I just, I feel it. Um, We're continuing our series on uh, Philippians and this is a series on mental health, but also the book of Philippians. And I'll just say again, the book of Philippians is not a book about mental health. It is a book of mental health on display through the life of Paul. So we're trying to read, read the book, dive into, okay, what is it that Paul thinks? You know, this is the most joyful book in the Bible. Uh, what is it, this Paul, it's like the last letter that he wrote. What has he learned about the joy of the Lord that we need to glean from the book of Philippians? Um, and and as we're doing that, we're pursuing more health on the interior of our life, right? We're trying to, to make sure that the areas maybe that are a little bit sick, even though we know Jesus, there's still areas that we have to work out, uh, that we are bringing those to the Lord. And so that is this series. And honestly, as I was looking over Philippians, the hard thing about Philippians is there are so many like iconic, like put on a t-shirt type verses, right? It's like, you know, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or, you know, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I read today's passage, and I was very tempted to go, eh, let's skip that one. That one's just like, that's just not as fun. It's not as, like, easy to preach on. Um, but the more I looked into it, uh, the more I dove in, I thought, you know, there's actually something, again, we are not 
necessarily just reading the words of Paul. We are looking between the words of Paul and we're going, what is the attitude that Paul is bringing to the table? What is it that, how does Paul carry himself? What are the things he's concerned about? What are the things he's not concerned about at this stage of his life? So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And Paul says this, I have thought it necessary to, ten, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, uh, on, oh, such joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. So Paul is talking about this man, Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus, the more I started reading the backstory of it, I really pictured it a moment like this. The Philippian church, the church in Philippi, was started by Paul, and they decided to send a delegate to go be with Paul in prison. So this delegate was to go and basically give up their life to sit in prison with Paul and serve him as he's serving the Lord. And this is really just like an, a call to, to missions. And I imagine a meeting like this, and one of the church leaders who started, you know, the Church of Philippi, you know, maybe, maybe Lydia's up in front of everybody, and she's like, look, Paul is going through this, this, and this. We need to send somebody who will go? Who will go? Epaphroditus raises his hand. He said, I'll go. I will go and I will serve Paul. And I'm sure they had a send-off. Maybe they were laying hands on him, you know. Uh, I'm sure there was like a, a rejoicing and we got somebody that's going to go serve Paul. Epaphroditus goes to Rome and he ends up getting very sick. Uh, most likely, they call it the Roman fever. He probably got the Roman fever. It's a very serious illness that would occasionally sweep through Rome. Um, and he was near death. Paul says he was almost dead, but then he came back. And I think, you know, as I'm looking into this, I'm like, there's a reason why. So it's just, it's kind of funny to me. He says, Paphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, minister for my need. Like he's giving all of these Lines And even this word, your messenger, is really the word uh, for apostle. So Paul is like lavishing honor on this guy going, this guy, he came out to serve me, but I'm actually putting him on my level. Like this guy is a big deal. And what you have to understand when he says, please receive him back. Imagine we have this big send off. Somebody goes, here I am, send me, I'm going. They go on the mission field, they get sick, they lose their heart, they lose heart, and they come back home. And I think Paul would have every right to go, come on, man. <laughs> come on, you got sick, you got over it. Like, you committed to coming out and being with me. Why, why are you bailing? Paul's sitting there. You got to remember, again, the backstory of Paul. He's got a clasp around his wrist that's metal. It's not ergonomic. It's not like covered in foam, you know, really nice foam. It, it's painful. 
He's like a foot and a half. He's chained to another soldier who gets changed out every few hours. So Paul never gets a full night's sleep. His, his wrist is probably worn raw. He is very uncomfortable and he has no idea what lies before him. He's supposed to go on trial. He might very well be put to death and being put to death was not a very quick thing in the Roman world. He was most likely facing crucifixion or something like that. Something horrible, something that would cause a lot of us a lot of anxiety if we knew that, that that's what we were facing. And I think we would have given every allowance for Paul to go, Epaphroditus, dude, come on. You know, you got sick, but you're better. Just stay. Why are you going? He doesn't do that. Paul lavishes all this honor on Epaphroditus, and he goes, and you could just sense him going, please, please don't hold this against him. Please do not hold this against him as he comes back home. After saying yes to serving the Lord, and now he's coming back, do not hold this against him. And Paul has this empathy for somebody who's going through something really, honestly, lesser than what he's going through, than what Paul's going through. And as he sends them back, and most likely, uh, Epaphroditus was carrying this letter with him. Most likely, he was the one that came back to the church, head probably lowered, and he delivers the, the mail going, hey, I'm back. Um, I got sick, and now I decided to come back. Paul, the thing is, is he does not give in to a victim mentality. The victim mentality tells you um, something happened to you that wasn't your fault, and things continue to happen to you, and they're not your fault, and they're somebody else's fault, and bad things are probably going to continue to happen to you. And that victim mentality is just really a way to buffer yourself against anybody who disagrees with you. And Paul was able to look past his own pain and discomfort and honor this guy Epaphroditus. He's like, look, he's, he went through something really hard. Just honor him as he comes back. Our culture tells us, and this is something I think that, um, that is really dangerous right now. Our culture tells us, if you haven't gone through what I've gone through, then you have no right to talk to me. If you haven't walked in my shoes, what can you possibly say to me? What we're setting up is an impossible situation for connection. There is no way that we could ever possibly connect with each other because guess what? Not one of us in this room has ever walked through the exact same thing. None of us, right? And if we go, hey, you haven't been where I have. You can't speak to me. What that really is, is an excuse for separation from people. It really is. It really is promoting disunity and it has no place in the church. It really doesn't. And we have to know that some people are going through things that you may deem as lesser than what you've gone through, but your calling is still to love them and to be there for them. I remember when uh, my wife and I, uh, we, have, uh, we have three kids, and when we had our first two, uh, we had them very, very close together. Uh, and yes, we know how babies are made. Um, they, uh, they were 15 months apart, so they're very close. Um, and I remember there was literally a time in my life where I look back and I was like, I have not slept in two years. Like two years, I'm going, I've not slept through the night. I've had a baby crying and young parents out there are like, yep, that's how it happens, you know? And I remember one day we like opened up our home, we were having dinner with people and uh, we had some, some people come over and we had a, a college student come over and she's awesome, nothing against college students. Um, she was awesome, she's great, and she was, you know, sitting at our table, and we were asking her about her life. We're like, hey, what's going on? And she said, I'm having a really hard time. We said, oh, really? What, you know, what's happening? 
She said, well, I have two tests this week, and so I've had to study a lot, and, you know, I've only really been able to sleep in a couple of days this week, and I'm really looking forward to Saturday where I could just watch movies all day and just sleep in, and, and my wife and I, as we're listening to her, like, again, this is, the, this is the flesh talking right here. We're going, is that it? Is, is that all that you're going through? And, you know, it's so easy when you're in the midst of something really painful to discount somebody else's pain. Because you go, oh, like, you don't know anything. Like, we haven't slept in two years, you know. Like, do you see these bags under our eyes, you know? Um, and I really, I, I remember the Lord really spoke to me afterward. And he, he said, you know, she is feeling the hardest thing that she's felt up until this point in her life. And it's hard for her. Just like the hardest thing you're going through in your life is hard for you right now. And I'm sure, as I'm saying, it was really difficult to not sleep. I'm sure some of you are like, wait till, you know, you, your parents get older and what you have to do, or wait till this, you know. And we get into this weird state where we're trying to like one-up each other's pain, and it's not helpful. It really is not. Paul has every reason to one-up Epaphroditus, go, hey, you got a cold and then you got over it in a big whoop. And Paul doesn't do that. And again, looking at the character of Paul, not just the words that he says, but what's behind the words that he says, he is honoring. Paul said, outdo one another in honoring each other. Paul didn't just say that. He lived it out. And we see that in this little section of scripture where he is honoring a guy who said he would come serve him and then changed his mind. It's effectively what happened. And I think Paul is going, look, just honor this guy. He tried he, he, he went home, you know, like, don't hold it against him. The other thing I think that Paul, when you look at this, there's an interesting passage, and, and this is the thing that really got my attention. It said, God had mercy on him, Epaphroditus, <clears throat> and he didn't die, uh, but he also had compassion on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul is aware of his emotional state. We talked about this yesterday in our conference uh, about owning your emotions. You feel things and you should own that. <laughs> we, had a, we had somebody that, uh, I have a friend of mine, he was telling me, he's like, you know, I was feeling this feeling and it was very selfish and it was very petty. And he said, I kept telling myself, you shouldn't feel this way. But I was feeling that way, you know? And he said, he was telling some, one of his other friends and his friend said, that's okay that you feel that way. It is petty and it is, it is dumb, but you feel that way. Just own it. Say, I, I just feel like this. I feel like, I feel discounted. I feel whatever. Paul understands that he, obviously in the middle of this very joyful book where he's reminding everybody to be joyful, he says, the Lord didn't want, you know, was gracious on me and didn't add sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's basically going, I'm already having kind of a rough time, and I don't think I could handle one more thing. Have you ever been there? I, I, look, this has been so hard. I don't, I don't know, Lord, if I can handle one more thing being piled on to the other things that are going on. Like I could picture Paul, he's sitting on the ground with this shackle around his, uh, on his wrist, feeling very uncomfortable going, the Lord is so gracious not to add an additional burden on top of me. 
And this is Paul who in this letter, he says he knows when people die, they go to heaven. He knows that. He's like, I am torn because I know if I die, if I'm sentenced to death, I'm going to go see the Lord face to face, and that's going to be awesome. And he knows that when you die, you go to heaven. And yet Paul is also saying, if my friend dies, though, I'm going to be so sad about it. Like, it is going to add sorrow to me. And there's something about the joy of Paul in this book that is far deeper than just putting on a fake smile. That is not joy. Joy is not pretending that everything is okay when everything is not okay. That is not joy. It's far deeper than that. But you can carry a joy like Paul is carrying this joy, and he is feeling sorrowful. You can feel them both. You can have them both. Paul says, he says this other line, um, and that I may be less anxious. Paul is saying that he is anxious. So just so we know, like Paul is anxious and he's like, it would help me to be less anxious if this thing happens, you know. I think in Christian circles, we get so quick to go, hey, what's wrong with you? You're anxious or you're feeling sad? Something must be wrong, you know. Instead of going, no, this is a beautiful tool for spiritual formation in the life of every believer. We're all going to face dark moments. We're all going to face, they call it the dark night of the soul. We're all going to face those moments of dark night of the soul. And we need each other in those moments more than any other time. Our culture, I think we're just really bad at processing this. I love in the Old Testament when it says they wear sackcloth and ashes, you know? So it's like, I just picture this like potato sack and putting ashes on your head, you know? But they are changing their outfit to tell you, I am sad and I am going to continue to be sad. And if you want to hang out with me, you just have to be sad with me. The Bible says weep with those who weep. So that, that's what's happening, you know? And as a culture, I think we do things like, oh, you know, don't feel bad. You know, something, ha- something bad happens. You lose your job and somebody goes, don't feel bad. There's a lot of job openings out there, you know? Something, you, you know, whatever. Something bad happens and they go, oh, don't feel bad. What a weird phrase that is, you know? How, how many of you apologize when you cry? Like apologize to the people when you cry? why do we do that? I do that all the time. Like, I'm crying. I'm like, I'm sorry. Why am I sorry that I'm sad? I don't know. I'm just like, for whatever reason in our culture, we're like, we just got to hide it and tuck it away, and we got to feel good all the time. And, but no, there is something really beautiful about sorrow. There really is. There's something really beautiful about hurting, and that is just the way that the, the world works. And, and there's something I think that we, we lose. We, we lose a depth in our joy uh, when we don't really embrace the sorrowful moments. And I think for the people in our life, like we have to be so slow to give people advice. I was talking to a friend of mine. He uh, lost a loved one, and um, it was a really hard season for him and uh, somebody very close to him. And he was just, just hurting And he was talking to a friend, and the friend was, like, basically trying to encourage him, you know, going, hey, you know, that person's in heaven, and all, you know, all the kind of things that you feel like you should say. And he said, the more the guy talked, the more I wanted to hit him in the face. (laughs) He's like, stop trying to make me feel better. I am really sad. I'm really sad. And then he said he had another moment. He said, where I kind of paused, and I stepped back, and I realized... This person is saying a lot of the wrong things to me, but they really love me and they're really trying to make me feel better. 
And so he said, instead of punching him in the face, he said, thank you. Thank you very much for that, you know. And I think there is something, and just as a side note, people that just lost somebody, don't try, don't try to tell them, oh, it'll just feel better. You know, they're in heaven. That is not, that is not what you say. Or you could look at the Job, you know, Job's friends when they're like, maybe this bad thing happened because you sinned. You know, <laughs> Chalk that up as like what to say not to a suffering believer. Like, don't say that stuff. Um, but the Bible tells us to just weep with those who weep. And there's something that is so beautiful about that. And it's so uniquely Christian and Holy Spirit given that we can carry joy, but we could weep with each other, that we could be with each other. I was reading this story uh, recently um, about a guy named Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford moved uh, to Chicago from England in the late 1800s. He bought up a bunch of land. He bought up... uh, uh, buildings and, and, and houses in downtown Chicago, and he amassed a huge amount of wealth for himself. But in the late 1800s, uh, his son, he had four daughters and one son, his son tragically died. The next year was the Great Chicago Fire, and every building that he bought and had invested into burned to the ground. He had no insurance. He had absolutely nothing, and he lost his own personal home as well. And he told his wife and his four daughters, he's like, why don't you guys go back to England, go stay with family. I'm going to stay here and try to rebuild what I can out of the ashes of what's left. A couple days later, um, uh, he gets a correspondence back, and um, it's a message from his wife. And she said there was a, an accident, and, um, and the, the boat crashed, and all four of our daughters drowned. I'm the only one that made it. And um, Horatio immediately says, okay, I'm getting on a boat and I'm coming to England. So he gets on a boat and on his way there, right over the spot where uh, his daughter's boat had crashed, he wrote this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. There's this sort of defiant joy in the life of a believer, that though they're in the midst of such brokenness, that they could say, it is well with my soul. There is something, like I said, so uniquely Jesus-like about that. And I don't think we would sing that song if that weren't the backstory. You know, if it's like Horatio was this rich guy and he died a rich guy and everyone was happy and he wrote the song, we'd go, well, of course you're saying it is well with my soul, you know? But from a guy who's had everything pulled away from him, for him to write these words, they get our attention, right? There's an, an, another song that was written out of a, a painful season. And, um, and I'm going to pull up the, the lyrics here. Uh, Amanda, who, who sang the song, um, she sang the song, Peace When You Come, Peace When You Go, Peace When You Come Up Against the Unknown. The line, I, I love this line. She said, peace for your mind when the pain is deep, from the top of your head to, your bo- to the bottom of your feet. She wrote the song after a very hard season. And, um, and um, 
for those of us that were close to her, that are close to her, that when she sang this song, we cried. Like we were a mess. We were up here and she sang this song and we knew what it cost for her to sing this song. And um, she used to, to work in a home with a, a lot of... Um, a lot of kids that were troubled and she used to lay and she would sing this song to them when they were going through something hard. She would sing this to the kids. And so for a little while, we called it the lullaby song because it was kind of like a lullaby, you know. Um, but there's something beautiful when out of a painful season, somebody has this sort of defiant joy to say, I'm going to write something that's real and honest, but also sinking my hope into the things that I cannot see. So we're going to sing that song again. Um, would, would you mind standing up? Uh, we're going to sing this song again. And, um, but as we sing it, this, this is a blessing song. You know? So there's those songs, those worship songs that we sing to the Lord, which are very biblical and very right. But there are blessing songs too, which are also from the Lord and also very biblical, that are pronouncing a blessing over people. Um, this song is a blessing over you this morning. This song is a blessing for you. So if you could just posture your heart to receive this blessing in whatever season you're in, uh, I think you're really going to gain something from it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you specialize in making beauty out of ashes. Thank you for that. I thank you that, Lord, people in this room that are maybe going through something really hard, I pray that you would remind them of the hope that you have in the gospel, that, Jesus, there is always hope with you, and that, Lord, that everything that is sad will come untrue one day, but it will be more beautiful having once been broken. So, Lord, we, we know there's purpose in pain. We know there is blessing on the other side. And so today, Lord, we just hold on to you in the midst of a world that's chaotic and unstable. Lord, we hold on to you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are so stable. Thank you, God. Lord, help us to just worship you and be in your presence.